are so, so good. I've got to sit through that two things, two times, Jesus, and move me so much. And the thing that strikes me so much, God, is I, I've watched some of those little children grow, grow into women and men. I've watched some of my brothers and sisters pass on to be in your presence. I've seen the room change, the stage change, the people change, the building change, the dress change, the hairstyles change. There's one thing that hasn't changed. Jesus Christ, our Lord. And your full out desire to be with us and to walk with us and to love on us and to reconcile with us and to forgive us, it never changes. And so Lord, as a people, as your people in this place, we're so thankful for who you are and, and for what you've done, for bringing us here and, and giving us yourself and giving us each other. And Lord, we proclaim your faithfulness. For 40 years, different decades, different people, same God, faithful as ever. And so Lord, we look back nostalgically, but we don't look back as people that long for the good old days. We look forward expectantly to what Jesus Christ is gonna do in our midst over the next 40 years. We celebrate you, we thank you, we sing of you, we love you. We say these things, we bring these things to God in the name and through the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. And the church at Mendham Hill said, Amen. Amen. How great were those guys, right? I mean, that is so much work to take all those songs and put them together. Just incredibly, incredibly talented. I, you know, the one word as I've been studying this and thinking about this service over the last couple weeks is just, I have this overwhelming sense of thankfulness that God gave me this church, that God allowed me to be part of this church. That's what strikes me more than anything. And so we asked you all to write thank you letters, and you did, and you got them in those books, those books which Tim just did an incredible job putting your stuff together in those books. He's, that, it does deserve a round of applause. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But you know, I'll tell you another mark of a good church is that it'd be able to laugh at itself a little bit, right? Everything doesn't have to be so serious. Sometimes we've screwed up a little bit over the years. So, uh, you know, I have a friend of mine back here that is also thankful um, to Mendham Hills Community Church. And uh, through the gift of a little bit of laughter and uh, poking fun a little bit of ourselves, let's uh, join Steve Fisher as he kind of reflects uh, and goes through what we are all thankful about here at Mendham Hills Community Church. Classy. So uh, we got all of your letters in, and they were uh, heartfelt and inspiring. Um, but we felt like maybe a couple of you had left some things out. Um, and in talking with you, I thought, you know, maybe I should write a couple, you know, thank you notes to the church. And so if you wouldn't mind, if we could take a couple of minutes, I'm going to write uh, just a couple of thank you notes to Menham Hills Community Church. You ready for these, Tim? Okay. Yep. okay, let's do it. Thank you, Mendham Hills, for keeping the sanctuary scorching hot. It reminds us why we're here, so we don't end up spending eternity in a place like this. It's 
kind of cold today, though. It, it, it's, it's cold. I'm sweating, but it's a cold sweat. It's, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a cold sweat. You know, we like to keep it hot one day, cold the next, keep people on their toes, you know, helps them to stay awake during the sermon. Can we just write better sermons? <laughs> We're working on it. We're working on it. Thank you, Mendham Hills, for renovating the building. Nothing makes me feel like I'm in a safe place quite like exposed wiring. <laughs> Go ahead, Jimmy, grab the wire. See Pres uh, Prescott's new haircut? All yes, spiky. that's, see, they're bad, I tell them, no. All right, just a couple more. Thank you, Mendham Hills, for changing our chairs from blue to brown. Now I can spill coffee on them and not feel bad about it. <laughs> Very important. Were, were you here when we had the blue chairs, or is that before your time? Uh, that was before my time, but I certainly have shared, spilled my share of coffee. You spilled some coffee on there? Oh, they're like sponges. Once in a while. Great. Thank you, Mendham Hills, for pumping my child full of sugar at youth events and then sending them home. <laughs> you know, the question is, what type of person would do something like that? Like, who would do that? I don't know. Middle, mid 30s, tall jeans, white shirt, bald, beard, glasses. Beautiful, handsome, athletic kind of type of guy. If that makes you sleep at night, no. go with that. Your kids will come home pumped full of sugar tonight. All right, a couple more. Thank you, Mendham Hills, for combining the communion elements into one dish. I love having people look at me awkwardly as I struggle to take out the quarter-inch communion bread. You guys really struggle at that. We'll keep moving right along. Thank you, Mendham Hills, for being financially responsible. Christmas Kringle coffee in July tells me we are sticking to a budget. <laughs> I have no idea what Christmas Kringle coffee tastes like. Yeah, you do. It was, it's the one in the foyer that's called Oktoberfest. Okay, <laughs> right. <laughs> Thank you, Mendham Hills, for having a pastor who cares and loves for broken people. We see it every week when he talks about his love for the Cowboys. <laughs> Those are your thank you notes. <laughs> Such a joy to work with these people, I want you to know. Uh, we asked you guys if you would submit uh, letters of thanks and they were profound. We would sit in our Tuesday morning meetings and uh, just, we'd be reading them and, you know, sometimes it would just cause us to pause because we couldn't believe the seriousness um, with which you took it and, and the depth of love that you have for this place and frankly, what God has done in your life here. So I know that's a long book. It's a thick book, it's a good book, but I know you also, you know, you're pressed for time and you might not get through all those things, so uh, we asked Rena, our, our resident genius, to, uh, to if, she could, if she could take all of those things and maybe put them together um, 
so we could uh, together appreciate what God has done here in people's lives. So Rena, using only your words, we haven't invented any of this, simply took your words and we put them together um, because we think it's important for all of us to, to see what God is doing. The scriptures are replete with God saying to his people, make sure you see what I've done here and remember it. And so this morning as you watch this, I want you, I want, I want you to know this. Be sure that you see what God has done here and remember it. I've been here for a decade. A quarter of a century. Five years. Since 1995. 2006. 2015. A friend invited me. My neighbor suggested. My friends have been coming for many years. After multiple suggestions from our good friends, the Bosworths. At the constant urging of John High. <laughs> My daughter's friend's mom encouraged me. When we moved from California. When we moved to New Jersey. When I left Long Valley for Chester. <laughs> when we needed a new church home. When we moved from Georgia. When I left my old church. You welcomed me. I found people who loved Jesus and loved each other. A place of incredible warmth. A place where I feel safe. Accepted. Empowered. I was invited by friends to attend Worship Under the Stars. That event took place on the very same day that my husband of 12 years left our home for good. I felt alone, depressed, and scared in my big house. So, I went to this new church. Everyone was so welcoming, and the service was amazing. Upon return to my home that night, I was still alone, but I could feel the presence of the Holy Spirit everywhere. Mendham Hills Community Church is a place where I find weekly spiritual strength and comfort in its welcoming environment and community. Mendham Hills encourages us to pray. We have received the most genuine and heartfelt prayer through our small group, as well as Friday morning men's group. When I think of celebrating this church, I think of celebrating the people within. You're my dearest friends, my closest allies, my family, the ones I can count on when life becomes more than I can bear, the ones who have held me up and hoped for me when my faith was faltering. I've been blessed by how seriously our church takes prayer. From the elders on down, we are a praying people. And it is because of those prayers that I am even alive, overcoming sickness and disease, being restored daily, and living life again fully. You have changed everything in my life. I was struggling. Through the tough waters of business failure, financial ruin, and a wife's addiction. I was struggling. Fighting cancer. I was struggling. My husband being ill and, and then passing away. I was struggling. After my divorce. I was struggling. After the loss of my mom. I was struggling. We had just lost our precious 18-year-old son. The first sermon we heard at Menham Hills was in October of 2015 about how God's heart and desire was to walk with us through anything. It was truly a bomb from heaven. Then there was the worship. Truly the only peace we had for months was worshiping. 
Thank you for being a safe place. Thank you for strengthening my faith. For making the scriptures come alive. For challenging me to think clearer, feel deeper, act with purpose, and treat others with love, gentleness, and respect. I've learned more about being the hands and feet of Christ at Mendham Hills than ever before. Guatemala changed my life. I first heard from God in the dumps of Guatemala City. Guatemala City radically changed our perspectives on everything. No one can go to Guatemala and return home without being changed. At Mendham Hills, we found a healthy outward focus on the surrounding community. Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. Market Street Mission. The people of Dover. Celebrate Recovery. Redemption. Prayer teams. Small groups. Vibrant discipleship ministry for our teenage daughter. My children have been influenced by so many wonderful people through the years. Youth group. Sunday school. Kids club. The greatest blessing of all. Our daughter, now a young woman, is serving Christ with a passion that was ignited here. Our son is in full-time ministry. My daughter and her husband, who were born into this church so long ago, are once again in our midst serving at Mendham Hills. We always know that God's word is being revealed to our kids as living and active. I can't say enough about how much this church has impacted my children. Thank you for being a church that seeks after God's own heart. Because of your desire to teach the truth, my son was inspired to accept the Lord Jesus Christ into his heart. Thank you. Because of your devotion, I am certain of where he is today. I thank God every time I remember you. Thank you, Pastor John. Thank you, Steve. Connie. Ed. Antonio. Greg. Chad. Tim. Tony. Gary. Ivan. Lizzie. Eric. Marietta. Betsy. Dave. Th Nina. Thank you, incredible Sunday school teachers. Kids club leaders, youth sponsors, and mentors. There are so many people to thank. There are so many events to remember. Chili night, flamingos on front lawns. But I'm only allowed 250 words. Thank you, Mendham Hills, for laughing with me. Crying with me. Supporting me. Thank you for being a church that isn't afraid to welcome the lost and the wounded. For helping me learn scripture and for, for growing in my faith. For challenging me. And inspiring me. Thank you for giving me friends for a lifetime. You are my second family. You have brought me hope. And joy. Most times, my heart wanders and my faith is small and my unbelief remains. But the teachings I receive and the truths I hear in this church have helped me to hold on. To never let go of the only one who has never failed me. My Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You should definitely take those books home um, and spend some time in them. They are amazingly encouraging. Uh, and the truth is, this is what God has done, but this is also a reflection of what God can do and will do in you, with you, and through you. Let it be an amazing encouragement to you. Please, please do that on your way home. Make sure you get one. Now, I want to share... Um, I, there's not a lot I can add to that, but I do, I do want to share a little bit of my, my own personal story and my story here at Menham Hills with you. Because there's a lot to learn from those letters. 
Before I share that, my story though, uh, and before, because I, you have a story, you're, you're here because you have a story. Um, I just want to take a glimpse into your story and our story. So um, the church was started in 1976. If you started coming to this church in the 70s, would you stand up if you started coming here in the 70s? Pretty good. All right, you guys can take a seat. If, you, if your story in this place started in the 80s, stand up if your story in this place started in the 80s. If your, place, if your story in this place started in the 90s, can you stand up? If your story in this place started 2000 to 2009, can you stand up? And last but not least, if your story started in this place 2010 through this morning, would you stand up? such a cool thing. I don't know what you're doing here. Sometimes I wonder what I'm doing here. I especially sometimes wonder what I'm doing here. Um, it's a crazy story. Um, that uh, I told you a couple weeks ago about my first Sunday here that uh, I can still remember the parking spot I pulled into and I was so nervous and what in the heck is the Christian Missionary Alliance? I mean, like, I knew, like, Catholic, Presbyterian, and Methodist. I didn't know what a Baptist was, let alone a Christian Missionary Alliance. And uh, so I pulled into a parking spot, and this parking spot has some meaning to me, so much so that I went and took a picture of it yesterday. <laughs> That's my spot. One day when I retire, you could write something in there. Here's where John first parked. Not all that romantic, but it has, it has deep meaning to me because I remember, I remember the first words I said to John when we pulled in that day. This is way too far, man. We're never coming back here again. Um, it was the early 90s, um, and I walked into that church, man. I was like, I was, I was a young powerhouse. I was what every church would be looking for. Young, virile, strong, good-looking. <laughs> Pretty much the poster child of cool. In fact, I was able to dig out Joan and I's first Mendham Hills um, picture that they took, the picture directory. Here I am. Take a look at this. <laughs> now that is, you just see that and you go, future leader right there, right? <laughs> I'll follow that guy anywhere. And the second question you wonder is, what is a hot babe like that doing with a dork like him? <laughs> and the answer is they produce these cute little kids. Look, at that's Courtney when she was a year old or so. So that was us just a couple of years into our story. And, I, you know, we pulled in here. I came in. I told you I sat back there. And the one thing that struck me, the first thing I noticed, and maybe you noticed it this morning, and I'm telling you, if you read the book, you'll hear it over and over in the book. The first thing I noticed this morning was the singing. And something that's been true of this church in all of the time I've been here, and it was true before I got here, this place has always been this incredible house of worship, I think from its earliest days. Now, we have been blessed with incredible talent. Like, I mean, the talent is unbelievable. And just this morning watching Tara, I mean, I've seen Tara. Tara has been leading worship here for, for, for a long time. I, I know I insulted Gina this morning because I said Gina's been playing drums back there for decades, and she came <laughs> afterwards and told me I shouldn't have said that. So... 
you didn't hear that from me, but. So we've always had incredible talent, but, but it always hasn't been about the talent. When I first got here, there was a husband and wife team that was up here. I don't remember who they were. I just remember that they weren't all that good. Um, I mean, they were okay. Uh, and, and where Mary Ellen's sitting right now, there was an overhead projector, and somebody had the job of flipping the transparencies over onto the thing. And you know, it was kind of a fun thing, because you knew what was gonna happen during the service, but you were never sure when someone was gonna put it upside down or inside out, and you know, it was only a matter of time. So it wasn't always about like it being perfect or, or the talent. It, it was about something that was going on in the people. It was something about the Holy Spirit, and I know that sounds all kind of fluffy and spiritual, but I'm telling you it's truth. There was something about the Holy Spirit dwelling in God's people that was allowing them to connect to God, that was allowing them to rejoice in the presence of their God that touched me. I remember thinking, I've never heard people sing in a church like this. Like, I, got, I had been going to church. I had come to know Jesus a couple years earlier, and I had started going to church. And when we sang in the church that I had gone to, it was like a funeral was going on. It was like a competition of who could mumble the lightest, you know? And I walked in here, and I was like, holy smokes. These people seem to really believe this. And again, the pastor wasn't here that day. Kevin DeFelice was speaking. He was a guest speaker. I mean, he was okay. Um, but, you know, it wasn't like, you know, Kevin, Kevin speaks here all the time still. So, you know, but <laughs> I mean, it wasn't like I walked in and said, oh, this worship band is incredible. And that pastor was unbelievable. It was something else about something that was going on in the room. And you'll read this if you read that book. Many others have had the experience. There was this touching of a vibrant, living, holy God that seemed to be dwelling in the people, in the place. And I was like getting drawn into it. In fact, it, um, if you notice, it's, not, it's never been about the talent or the individuals. It's always been about the people in the pews. If, if you noticed um, during the thank yous that, that were just read up front, um, as Rena went through your letters, there was, a thank, you, there was thank yous to, to me and to Steve, um, but there wasn't a lot of them. And most of the thank yous, if you notice, were to just normal lay people, just people in the church. Like, thank you, because of what you've done for me. The story of this church is the story of Christ and his people. That's the story of Men and Hills Community Church. Guys, you know so many churches are struggling around here. Um, I, I showed you about a year and a half ago. Remember, I put up the pictures. I said, all these churches are within like an hour of our church. And I showed you a picture of a church, picture of a church, picture of a church. And we went on for a while. And I, I said, tell me what they all have in common. And the guesses were, you know, they, they, they have steeples. Or, you know, the doors are wide. Or the parking is ample. And when we got done guessing, I said, no, the answer is they're all closed and they're all, all for sale right now. What makes, what has helped, what makes Minimills prevail in a climate where, where churches are shuttering their doors all the time, it's not John, it's not Doug, it's not Chip, it's not Tim, it's not Tony, it's not Joan, it's not Priscilla. What makes our church thrive is that, as I've watched it over the years, its leaders, and more, it's more, more importantly, its people, have rarely focused on just themselves. From the very first moment I walked into this church until this morning, when I walked in here this morning, and I was greeted by volunteers, and I saw volunteers praying over the service, and I saw volunteers leading the service, it's never been about anything but 
but, but glorifying Jesus Christ and building his kingdom. Never about building individual kingdoms, never about trying to make somebody the next big mega pastor. It was always about Jesus Christ. This is a God story here. He built it, he runs it, he rules it, and he is responsible, not me, not anybody else, he's responsible for every story that's in that book you have. And he's going to be here helping us to thrive as long as we allow him to and not take our eyes off him and not take our eyes off his mission, not turning our eyes inward. He's going to be doing this long after John and Joan and Steve and Melissa and Tim and Renska, long after all the upfront people are gone. This is the church and the work and the cause of Jesus Christ. Staff, elders, leaders in the church. This is the deal. This is the marching orders. We cannot drop the ball on this. The church is about Jesus Christ, his mission, and it's his work. We've got to stay focused on it. Now, my story, like some of your stories, is that God drew me here. I, listen, I have no idea what I'm doing being a pastor right now, let alone in the church, but there was something going on in my soul. I had come to, the gospel had been explained to me, and I had this desire to, to find God, and I understood what Jesus had done, and so I said, well, I'm going to go back to the, the church of my youth. So I went back to, you know, where I had gone to church as a little boy, mostly Christmas and Easter, and uh, I got back there, and I, I said, I'm going to, you know, these people love God, and I'm going to find God here. And so I started going, and I started studying the scriptures, and I was learning a lot, and over time, people started to go, hey, this kid seems to know a lot, and they were asking me questions. And then the pastor started asking me questions, which I thought was kind of weird, um, about the Bible. And then the more I talked about the Bible, the more I started to realize that nobody kind of in the church seemed to care. And I remember we were talking about like sermon series, and I was kind of growing into leadership in this little church. And I said, hey, guys, don't you think we should kind of focus on some of the stuff that's in the, in the scriptures? And uh, one of the elders of the church looked at me and said, son, if I want to hear about the Bible, I'll read it at home. And I thought, Wow. I might be in the wrong place. Um, but I didn't know. I mean, I didn't know. I was ignorant. I mean, I, I didn't know. I mean, these were good people. They'd grown up in that church. They'd grown up in that church, and they loved that church. I'm just not sure that they loved Jesus. And so I, I started this, this kind of look for some place that, that would share this passion for Christ that he had been building up within me. And this is a kind of a crazy story, but I was out golfing, and uh, I was on a little pitch and putt course. Some of you know the story, and I was out there by myself, and it was, it was going to show my age. There was a guy in one of those black rock concert t-shirts, but he had like a, it's kind of nerdy, but he had like a Christian band on the black rock concert t-shirt. And I remember thinking, oh, that guy, he, he must be a Christian. And, and you know, the guy, I hate when God does this. He says, go ask him where he goes to church. He didn't say it loud, but you know, you feel it. You're like, I should, oh, I'm going. I, I responded to God the way I almost always do, which is, let's just wait and make sure this wasn't last night's pizza or something and <laughs> see if it just passes. And, uh, and so God does what he always does. Like this guy kept like winding up in front of me, you know, next to me, on the tee with me, on the green with me. And God kept saying, ask him where he goes to church, ask him where he goes to church, ask him where he goes to church. So finally, I, I walked up to him. I said, okay, I know this is stupid. I don't know you. I, can I ask where you go to church? And he just looks at me and I, he goes, I go to Menham Hills Community Church. You should go. You should, I'll be there this Sunday. Why don't you come? I thought, all right. So I went home and I told Joan, I said, man, it's a crazy story. God told me to ask this guy where he goes to church and we should go check out this church. And that's when I pulled into that parking lot and said, I'm never going to come here again. Um, it's way too far. 
But at the end of the day, when I walked out of the room that day, I felt like I had been given this incredible gift. All those scriptures that Jesus talks about, like if, when you find the kingdom of God, that day they became a little more real to Joan and I. It was like when I walked out, I had found a treasure buried in a field or at least one kind of buried behind a hill on Route 24. I, I walked out going, it's like I found the pearl of great price. And I'm telling you, I was willing to do not anything yet, but a lot of things. Like I, I became willing to drive 20 minutes because it, it was like I had been given a great gift. And then my story, see, well, here's what happens with our stories. Our stories start intersecting other stories. Um, I, I had a few friends I was in a small group with back at that other church, which had banned small groups because they were dangerous. Um, it's a true story. And so we had been in this little small group, and, uh, you know, we just just really kind of passionate about following Christ. And uh, I came here and I said, guys, I said, God's calling me to this other church. I love you, but it's time for me to go to this other place. Um, oh, no, 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 you got to stay here. You got to stay here. I said, well, I, you know, I love you, but I really think this is where God's calling me. No, 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 wait, you know, we, you, you got to stay. And so I said, I go, one of them made me a bet. They said, if I come to your church, this church on one Sunday, will you then come back? And I said, if you come to this church, because I knew, he, I knew he loved Jesus. I said, if you come to this church and after you're here one time, you tell me you want to go back, I'll go back with you. That's how certain I was. And so 22, 23 years ago, um, uh, that little pack of friends showed up at this church that one Sunday, and one of them is sitting in the back running your soundboard right now. <laughs> that was the Seagulls and the Huttons and Josh Mannix, who runs our youth ministry, his parents came here that day. Because my story started intersecting other stories. It was like I had found this great restaurant that I couldn't stop talking about. Early in my walk with Jesus, I don't know why he gave me this verse. It's starting to make more sense with me the older I get. It's just a little verse in a little book in the Bible written by, it's not even a book. We call these things books, but it's a little letter that Paul wrote. The Apostle Paul, St. Paul, some of you know him as. He's writing to a church in a city called Philippi. We call the book Philippians. And very early in this letter, it's a short little letter. You can read it in two minutes. He, he, he's writing to this church. It's wondering how it's going to survive. Rome is bearing down. There's dissension amongst the people. Paul's been put into jail. And they're starting to wonder, how are we going to survive? How is this work of God in this place going to survive? And this line, this little line that God gave me, has helped me in my faith survive for over 30 years. It has sustained me when I have screwed up. It has helped me when I have sinned. It, is, it has moved me when I've looked at the wrong things. It, it has talked to me and spoken to me when I've said the wrong things, thought, thought the wrong things. It has had great meaning to me when I have still, even, even though I know Jesus, when I have ch chosen to do the wrong thing. It has sustained me when I felt like I was losing hope. It has sustained me when I felt like I was losing my faith. When I wasn't, felt like I wasn't Christian enough or good enough or holy enough. It's helped me so much when people inside of the church have, have questioned me and it's comforted me when people outside of the church have derided me and it has fed my soul when that little voice in my head, and it's not the still small voice of God, when that little voice that comes in my head and it goes, you don't love God, you hypocrite. I know what you've done. This one little verse that Paul wrote to a little church in Philippi 2,000 years ago to a people who were feeling maybe much like you and I, sometimes feel maybe losing faith, maybe wondering how it's going to turn out, maybe caught up a little bit in sin, to them and Paul, me wrote, the, to, to Paul, to them and to me and to you, Paul wrote this. 
Philippians 1, being confident of this. Another version says being certain. Being so certain of this that he who began a good work in you is going to carry it on into the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You see, Jesus Christ is not done with me. A lot of you see me as Pastor John... And so you think I have it all together, at least maybe in the things of God that I've arrived. I have to tell you, I do have to tell you that, it, that especially in these last few years since God has given me this position, he has really changed me so, so much. I can boldly tell you I am more like Jesus today than I was last year or the year before. Yet I also tell you, he's got work to do in me. I'm not there yet. I have not gone through some holy car wash where I've come out perfect. But if I'll push in him, if I keep pushing him in him, if I keep reconnecting my soul to the only source of life, when that life flows through, it changes me. I become more and more like him. I can love like him. I can have patience and kindness like him. And when that voice comes, and it still comes, you know, the voice still comes and it says, you call yourself a pastor. You know what? Now I say, you're damn right I do. And he's not done with me. He's not done with you either. For those of you who are new, there's a lot of folks in our church that are new to, to the things of God, maybe considering getting on this path and, and following this Jesus. I'm telling you, I'm welcoming you to the ride of your life. I don't know if you're going to be a pastor one day, but things happen. Um, you have no idea what he has in store for you. And, and if you will come and repent and follow, here's what I can tell you. He will never give up on you. He will never quit on you. He'll never get frustrated or discouraged by you. He is going to be faithful to you. He will never quit. I told you a few weeks ago, you've got to trust the potter and the process. I know the process can stink sometimes, but he is with you in it. Now, for those of you that have been walking with Jesus for a while, I've got good news for you. You have not arrived yet either. I know sometimes we can get to the Bible. I've been following Jesus for 25 years. I know every, I know every verse in the Bible. Okay, that's fantastic, but you're also a jerk. Right? Like, <laughs> anybody know anybody like that? I mean, church, those of you that have been with me in this church for 20, 25 years, we can get better and better. We can get more like, we can love more. If we won't settle for religion or just mere adherence to theological creeds, but if we could reimagine who he is and what he's doing, if we could open our minds, see things in a new way. We put David Nina's picture up there. That woman played the organ in this church for like 25 years. And then suddenly, we kind of played a trick on her. Every Sunday, we'd push in another foot towards the back of the, 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 the closet. And one Sunday, she came in and it was in the closet. And we said, Nina, people don't, you know, they're not worshiping with the organ anymore. And what has caused divisions in churches all over the world? Nina said, well, then they're not worshiping with the organs anymore. That's fantastic. What's next? That's why this church is where it is today, because of people like that. We've got those of us that have been following with Christ. We need, to, we need to examine our hearts more. Because he who began a good work in you is going to be faithful to complete it. It's true for me. It's true for you. And on our 40th year, it's true for us. Betsy and Betty and Dave and Nina and Connie and Ed, great news. He who began a work in you guys in 1976 to start this place, he's not done with it yet. There's bigger and better and wider and deeper work that's going to be done in this place if those of us that are walking in their footsteps will allow it. 
if we'll shepherd and minister and lead in this place as they have led. Here's the deal. Here's the the question on, on this morning of a 40th anniversary. The question is not, will God be faithful? The question is, will we be faithful? The book you have, the stories show over and over and over again. The Bible shows it. Our experience shows it. History teaches it. God can be trusted. He's not going in there. He will hold up his end of the bargain. That can't be debated. But for us at Menham Hills, the question is over the next 10, 20, or 40 years, are we going to be faithful? Will we walk the path that we've been called to? Will we follow the incredible footsteps of the one who has gone before us, not just Jesus, certainly in his footsteps, but in the sacrificial footsteps of the ones that that stood up and said, I was here in the 70s, I gave everything I had to start this place. Or will we simply take this place for granted, which is what happens to most churches, the second generation, right? I used to be in businesses, I used to be in business and we used to finance businesses. One of the unwritten rules about financing business was you never finance the son of the owner. Because the owner was the one that was willing to make the sacrifices. The owner was the one that was willing to work hard, be innovative, do all the things that need to be done. The son just grew up in it and takes it for granted. Who are we going to be? Will we, and I'm afraid this is where the world and the patterns of society and culture are pulling us, are we simply going to treat this place like an old shoe? Comfortable, worn in just the right places, but not all that important because you know, we got things to do. We got kids' sports, and I got weekends away, and I want a bigger house, a nicer car. I got to retire. Or will we, like them, become fully devoted followers of God in this place? Not lukewarm, not treating what God has done here just as some nice story, but realizing that, you know, you sit on holy ground. You sit on holy ground. <laughs> This work matters. This place mattered. Together, this church gives you the opportunity to make it the work of your life. Did you hear the stories? Have you read the book? Just the other day, one of my kids and I were driving through town, and we started naming the people that we know are still alive, that are alive because of Menham Hills Community Church. There is nothing save following Jesus that you can be committed to. I'll give you you your family, but but more more than Jesus' work in this place. The question is not, will we be faithful? The question is, he, will he be faithful? It's, will we? Steve told me the other day that the millennials don't like the word commitment. He said, so you should change, your, uh, change the word to ask. Instead of telling, uh, telling people or asking them for commitment, just say, you know, I have an ask for you. So can I, I have an ask for you on our 40th anniversary. I'm, I'm going to ask you three things. First, Here's what I'm asking you, based on God's word and his work in this place, I'm asking you, I'm going to go there with it, okay? I'm going to go there in a couple things this morning. It's only got five minutes left of this message and it won't be done. I know you smell hot dogs. Uh, Here's what I'm asking you, based on God's word and his work in this place, I am asking you if you would commit to being 100% in here. 100% faithful stewards of your time, your talent, and your stuff. I know if you come to this church and you're involved, it is easy to look around and go, look, I give more than anybody else, anybody else I know. But those who came before us were all in. God has said to us, there's a story in Malachi where the people of God were, when they, when they wanted to sacrifice a lamb to God, they would just go out and pick up their, their worst lamb. Oh, look at this one. Grab that one. He can barely walk. He's blind. He's deaf and he's old. We'll give him to God. And, and God, through, through the prophet Malachi, says to his people, 
I can't believe that this is what you would bring to me. I'm so, I'm so distraught over this. In fact, he says, shut the whole temple down. Shut it down. I'm not playing this game. And so I'm asking you, Madam Hills, on the, on the Sunday of your 40th anniversary, those of us, my generation, the generation to come, will you be 100% faithful with your time and your talents and your money? It's all God's anyway. I did, my, I'm helping my kids with their budget. They both started full-time jobs this year, and we sat down this week, and I, I said to them, look, you've got to be serious about this tithe business to God. God's not telling you you need to give 10% of your money or 20% of your money, but I will say this. The Bible does talk about tithes. It's a good place to start that, is a, that, that we should be thinking about, that, that I should, to God's work in the local church, give 10% of what I have. And Courtney started, you know, she's, we're starting her job and she's going, well, I can do this. And, but then you start to say, well, and, and the statistics show this, like, well, it's easy to give 10% when you're not making a lot of money. It's a lot harder when you're making a lot of money. Will you be, if you're, not, if you're not giving sacrificially here with your time and your talents and your money, would you consider moving in that direction? Would you seek God on it? It's a big deal. If you, if you haven't been fully committed to helping us with great expectations, go out and talk to Eric in the hallway. I would love to finish this building with no debt. I mean, there's people here that could write a check. There'd be no debt. Again, I don't, like to, I don't like to beat the drum on this stuff, but if we're going to pick up the mantle of the generation before us, this is what we need to do. We need to be giving of our stuff and our time. If, if you're a good teacher and you teach all the time, can I ask you to think about teaching upstairs? I know you're with kids all the time. I know. But please don't sell your spiritual gift just to the world for money. Please think about investing it here in our kids and in our youth. I encourage you to go see Connie. Make this the friendliest place on earth. Sign up and be a greeter here and help us change the way people experience God in this place. Second thing, will you be faithful? They were. He'll be. Will you be faithful in growing in your faith? And I need you to do that. You need to be in community. Every story that was up here had to do with relationships, how much people meant them, what a community it was. You are not meant to live the Christian life alone. If you are not in a small group, if you are not in a community, a, 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 a sharing community of Christ followers, I'm telling you, you're going to move backwards. You're going to move backwards in your faith. Please. The history of this church is that relationships were built in small groups. You're in a bad one, we'll get you in a good one. You're not in one, we'll find one. I'm committed to it. I'm committed to community. Bible studies, men's groups, women's groups, prayer groups. They're all there for you. Please get yourself one. one. Go see Steve in the hallway. And the last one is this. And this one can be a little in intimidating or tricky. We give lots of lip service to this one verse. Most famous verse in the Bible. What is it? John. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Man, we love this verse. We put it on placards. We show it at football games. We gold emboss it and hang it around our necks. But there's something so profound here that we miss it when we cover it up in the gold lamay, and it's this. Let me ask you a question because it has to get deep in our souls on our 40th anniversary or we're in danger of putting the building up for sale one day too. Who does God love? Who? Who? God loves everybody. When Paul instructs Timothy in the Bible, he says, here's God's heart, Timothy. He says, God wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. Who does God want to be saved and honor the truth? 
When Jesus willingly laid down his life and he was beaten and whipped and nailed. See, this is a historical event, okay? Don't spiritualize this. A man was beaten, whipped, and nailed to a cross and crucified, bearing the punishment, not for his own sin, but for others. Who did Jesus do that for? Everyone. And when he rose again from the dead, he's victorious over the grave and death and fear. Whom did he come to restore life to? And whom did he send his followers out to tell the story to? Everyone. Everyone. Here's my, my ask of you. In honor of this place and what God has done and is doing, I am asking you to ask to be like Jesus and to ask everybody you know to come and experience God in this place. Somebody said to me the other day, God, it was coming out of a traditional church, and I said, man, you're exactly the kind of person we're trying to reach in our church. Can you tell me how we could do that better? He goes, there's no room for me to, <laughs> for more people in this place. Also, we'll start another third service tomorrow. This is serious stuff. This isn't a joke. I know that was a funny joke. I'm not <laughs> but what we're involved in is not a joke. This is, like, this is eternities. I'll start another service tomorrow. Would you commit to seeing people the way Jesus sees them, allowing your eyes to see them that way, to love people the way he loves them and care for their lives and their souls as he does, to pick up your role as a minister and invite them into a parking, a crappy parking spot up on the second level because you don't know where their story is going to end? I, when, I, you know, when I mean everybody, do you know what I mean by everybody? I mean everybody. Two quick stories on this. Number one, when we started working with Market Street Mission, I said, man, what a vision. Could you imagine this ritzy church amendment? What if we started running a bus to Market Street Mission and bringing the mission guys down here? So we started, oh, that's going to be great. That's going to be so romantic. It's wonderful. And so we started running the bus. And then we learned something very quick. When people are trying to overcome addictions, do you know what they tend to gravitate towards? Smoking. And so I had this pack of smokers outside um, of the front door on a Sunday morning. And some church folks, and I love God, but, you know, I mean, smoking at church. And they came to me and they said, look what you did. Like, what are we going to do? They're smoking in front of the church. What should we do? And I said, get them an ashtray. <laughs> Smoke them if you got them is my motto. Now... If you invite, the, if you believe that God loves everybody and you're a church person, this can be uncomfortable sometimes. If you invite the community in, do you know what sometimes you get when you invite the community in? The community. <laughs> a bunch of years ago, we had, we, you know, people, they want to bring their kids to church. Maybe they can find God. And so they're sending their kids upstairs to children's ministry. And, you know, Things happen, and uh, you know it's okay. A kid that was visiting, he dropped the f bomb, and uh, and you know some some people came to me. What are you going to do about this? This kid dropped the f bomb upstairs, and I I said, what, what do you want me to do? They said he can't come to children's ministry anymore, and I said the hell he can't. <laughs> I didn't actually say it. I said it in my head, but. We've got to keep our eyes focused on, the, on who Jesus is seeking out there. 
and invite. I need you to join with me. I told my neighbor yesterday, he just got a job. He's a 60-something-year-old guy out of work. He came over, I'm working on something outside, and he's, he's, he's a yapper, and he's talking to me about it. And I said, he's telling me about his job, and I said, dude, you should be in church tomorrow. Thank you, God, for that. Why don't you come with me? Now, he's not here, but maybe someday. You just keep inviting people like crazy. Ben, come up here. I'm asking you, right out of the stories, to be stewards of your time and of your gifts and of your stuff. I'm asking you to invite everyone you know to believe that we exist for a purpose and it's not just for ourselves. And lastly, I'm asking you to get into a community, be vulnerable, share your heart, learn about Jesus, be accountable to some people. And that's his plan. To this day, my kids still, still call people that were in my first small group um, uncle and aunt. And that's God's plan for you in this place. Torch has been passed. It's my turn now. It's your turn now. It's our turn now. He's been faithful. They've been faithful. The only question that remains is, will we be faithful? Let's stand and close and worship.